0: Welcome to the Art School Podcast, I'm Ken Goshen. Today, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Juliet Aristides. Juliette is the founder and instructor of the Aristides Atelier at the Gage Academy of Fine Art in Seattle. Juliette teaches workshops both nationally and internationally. She is the author of Classical Drawing Atelier, Classical Painting Atelier, Lessons in Classical Drawing, and Lessons in Classical Painting. Her books provide an overview of traditional drawing and painting skills, and within each book are exercises relating to improving your artistic practice. She exhibits in one-person and group shows nationally, including a solo exhibition titled Observation at the Reading Public Museum of Art in Reading, Pennsylvania, an upcoming exhibition called A Life's Work at the Customs House Museum in Clarksville, Tennessee, and her fourth Atelier show at the Maryhill Museum of Art. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it highly wherever you're listening, especially on Apple Podcasts as they weigh positive reviews very heavily and it helps the reach of the show. And lastly, as always, this podcast is brought to you by the generosity of my Patreon supporters. You can become a supporter too at patreon.com slash Ken Goshen. And now I bring you my conversation with Juliet Aristides. Juliet, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Ken.
0: So where I think would be a great place to start is for anybody who somehow doesn't know you yet, maybe you could give us a little bit about your background and what got you into painting, where you studied, and what have you been uh, doing these days or the past few years?
1: (laughs) 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 Well, like many people who have uh, a career in the arts, we start off often in a very unauspicious place where... Uh, a lot of time with the sketchbook, and I grew up. Um, I was born in South Africa and grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and so uh, it was beautiful there was a lot of woods there wasn't a lot of culture and not that many people who were interested in art and so it gave me a lot of time to read and think about things and to do master copy work and to do sketching and writing and it's funny that now that I've gotten a lot older it's interesting to me how much I'm coming back to that Mm. so sometimes you could feel like you start a um off on a path in life and then it kind of weaves around and the ending has nothing to do with the beginning. And I'm finding that it's just the opposite. The ending has more to do with the beginning than almost anything in the intervening years. Hmm. Um, so, uh, did you want to know something about my formal education at that
0: point? Yeah. Anything, anything that you, that you feel like you want to share with the listeners that would, uh, that would be great.
1: Yeah. Um, So I started off at a small college, uh, in Kiddstown and heard about someone in the small studio whose name was Byron Barnstone. And at that time, I wasn't introduced to any, you know, sort of hardcore art education. It was all linked to design or illustration. And so I stopped by and visited his studio and it was the real thing with, uh, just intense experience of, um, life drawing and, and theory and structural Drawing and everything related to that, and uh, so spent a year there before going to Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Art, and did three years there. And when I was there, um, did a lot of uh, cast drawing and life drawing and um, things related to that primary part of education. And then through a friend of mine, heard about the ateliers in Minnesota. And at that time, it was pre internet. And so you couldn't just look up online about these places. And so I visited and then moved there for a few years before then discovering uh, uh, the National Academy of Design in New York City. So I went there and studied with Jacob Collins before going to uh, work with him at his studio in Polyma's place. And then from there, he started Water Street. And so that was pretty much. a highly condensed uh description of a decade.
0: Perfect. Well, well accomplished. So <laughs> I'll share a little bit uh about the one time that we did meet. So I yeah. had I had I had the pleasure of uh of being in one of your classrooms. My friend Austin kind of messaged me about there was this class at the Art Students League. Maybe if I'd like to come and 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 lend a hand I get to draw from life and do which is something that I at that time didn't really have a lot of opportunities to do so I kind of jumped at the opportunity I said yeah great I'll I'll do a little live drawing I'll help a little bit with the class gonna be fun and what I discovered is that you are a uniquely talented teacher and this is something that's kind of, in my opinion, a little bit lacking in the art world because a lot of people can paint well, but I I don't really think that's the same skill set as being a good teacher. And what ended up happening is i mean i had so much fun on on an educational level i kind of even stopped drawing and just just wanted to kind of interact with your students and nerdy geeky color talk all those kinds of things just really spoke to me and and i was really impressed with with how you conducted the classroom as as a teacher, so could you share a little bit what got you into teaching? When did you discover, if you discover, if this is not news to you, that you're really good at it and that it's something that you enjoy? Uh, maybe you want to share something about that.
1: Yeah, I think that, yeah, thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. That was memorable, you being there. And um, so uh, teaching really grew out of an extension of studying. And I spent um, so long really on this treasure hunt trying to get an education and at that time it was very different than now because it wasn't you couldn't you know not to beat the point to death but you couldn't go online and research any of this and so it was really like this band of people wandering around bumping into each other and uh and I really fell in love with the reading and the researching and um those moments of insight where it all started to come together and you can actually see these missing pieces start to like line up. And, um, and I think I spent so long in school and maybe, maybe I never wanted to leave school because I loved it so much. And so maybe the teaching is nothing more than just a desire to be there and still learn. And I find I learn a lot from being around other people. And I think another thing that I like about the studio is that, uh, everybody is so focused on something that's really, um, is really internal. I mean, there's a competitive element among, you know, artists that's in all things, but, um, to see other people getting excited about what they're doing and the sharing of information and, and in the, it's not the real world, but the other world, the parallel world of non, non arts or what, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, you're never going to randomly find these conversations about beauty or technique or uh, historical things of interest. And so uh, maybe it's that nerdy part of me that just loves those kind of conversations. So maybe that's it.
0: Brilliant. Pardon the interruption in the flow of the conversation, but I think you're going to appreciate it. Because at this point of the conversation we start talking about an exercise that Juliet assigned to her students, but at no point do we actually describe what this exercise actually is. So I figured you'd appreciate if I went back in the recording and added a little bit of a segment here explaining what that exercise is because that way you can actually do that. So what Juliet gave to her students is this was a color workshop, right? So these, these students were trying to practice color mixing, but some of them didn't really know how to draw yet. So Juliet gave her students this outline of the general shapes of the composition, like they were painting a figure. And so there were the outlines of the figure, the features inside of the face, where's the shoulder, where's the hand, all that was traced and printed on sheets of paper. And onto those sheets of paper, Juliet taped pieces of acetate and that way people were painting on the acetate. So even if they got a color incorrectly and they wanted to scrape it away and remix it and apply a new color, as soon as you remove something from the acetate, you can still see the trace drawing underneath. And this was a brilliant hack as Juliet calls it a hack. And I, and I agree because this allows people who cannot draw the figure yet to still practice their color mixing. Uh, and that's really excellent and so now you know what exercise we're going to be talking about and so yeah back to the conversation um so just to share a little bit about my personal like impression of of that day specifically so you kind of combined an exercise that i really really love uh the combination of colors the viridian green versus the burnt sienna cold and warm chroma control technique with something that I found to be completely novel, which is painting on the oh, yeah. acetate and then superimposing super that on top of the drawing. It just seemed so novel and creative to me in terms of a really a method for conveying information. Because I, I do a lot of teaching and I'm always thinking, okay, so we have a lot of these complicated things in our brain. How do we convey them to other people in the most coherent... And a way that makes sense and it's easily digestible. So, do you find that a lot of these exercises that you employ are things that you came up with that mm-hmm. you? Did or are they things that you ran into and kind of did a collection and and you have all of those? Yeah, in a it's bag kind of a somewhere. mixture,
1: like um, of a lot of things like that. I think you know part of that came from just visiting another studio, like like Sadie Valerie's uh studio. She had students do something on acetate. It's like wow, that's a brilliant hack, um, for uh. Mm-hmm for working with students who don't have the drawing skills. And so uh, it's a mixture of some of them um, just creating a kind of a stockpile of um, creative. So I've been running my atelier for 21 years where this is um, and at the end of every single year, we look back and say, what could have been done better or easier, et cetera. And so that's a time of, you know, creativity and brainstorming. And some of them I pilfer, some of them I combine. I mean, you can get a whole bunch. I mean, I've got a bunch of great projects just from reading 19th century drawing and painting manuals. Uh, so stuff is out there. It's not always, um, you know, you have to kind of dig deep for it, but um one of the things that was a driver for that, I'll give you an example. I met a woman at a birthday party and she was turning 50 years old and it was just a random like party. She said she was super bummed out about it and said, so I said, oh, you know, maybe use it as an opportunity to try out some new things in life and whatever. It gives it a time for excitement. She said, well, she's always wanted to paint, but she's never tried it. And so she I said, okay, well, let's take an afternoon and I'll show you, We'd like to get you started. And it was funny because you do a fair amount of teaching, don't you? Yeah, you have uh, a, like a definitely. serious gift. Like you have, because um, I've seen you teach and you're remarkable. So being complimented by you is really a, Thank you. an honor. So so this lady showed up and have you ever taught in a class where you look around and people or s- some people, they just look mad. They're kind of like dead and their arms are crossed. And uh, I, th- so she showed up and she looked just like that. And so I was thinking, wow, you know, I expected you to be like a little bit excited or a little nervous or whatever it is. And she, um, and so I, I uh, took her into the studio and said, okay, we're going to do an exercise with black and white paint. And she just sat there staring at the tubes. I said, okay, you've got to squeeze out the white paint and the black paint. And She's she like, like I'm scared I'm going to mess it up. I was like, well. I mean, there's no way to break it down any simpler than that. And so I realized like what I was interpreting as like being mad or kind of aggressive or whatever it is, is is nothing more than just being super afraid. And um, so Mm -hmm. for her, you know, coming up with something like one of those acetate sheets where the drawing's done, she doesn't have to worry about the drawing. She just has to, it, it, it takes a kind of an infinitely complex problem. It breaks it down into a very narrow one can enable her to kind of piggyback over some of these beginning skills uh, and see something rewarding and then hopefully get the energy to go back and right. learn some of that stuff. You know.
0: Yeah, I think that that's so wise to people who don't really understand necessarily how we as painting teachers have to structure these things. It's an issue when some of these skills have to build on top of other skills. And then if you want to teach somebody about color, but they don't have the fundamental knowledge about drawing, then if you mix the most beautiful color in the world, but then you put it in the wrong place, meaning you don't have the the elements of drawing understood so that your design is not stable enough, then that color that was mixed perfectly is going to look completely wrong because it's placed in the wrong place. So there's there's really a lot, of, a lot that goes into trying to figure out, okay, not everybody's going to have a complete understanding of, of every aspect that we need them to understand. So how can we make those exercises be more digestible so that we can focus on one thing and understand it? And I think what you've done there with with the acetate is is wonderful. And also the way that you broke down the palette into a limited set of colors that can still be uh, extraordinarily rich. And if you understand the ratios that you need to use in terms of how you mix those colors, they they can be so rich (laughs) and and make you feel like, why would I ever need any more colors? So I, I kind of wanted to pick up on a few threads that you already threw in. So you said you did a lot of research, a lot of reading. I'm sure that to people listening, they kind of want to know, okay, so what books <laughs> What books do I need to get my hands on? Yeah, Any like, recommendations for example, that, that limited have?
1: palette. I think that one just came from an old Harold Speed book um, where he talks about mm-hmm. um, different palettes for flesh painting, one tipping towards burnt sienna and the other one tipping towards uh, Venetian red. And so... Um, you know, it's interesting when I studied at the ateliers. Everything was broken down really, you know, nicely. Like a year of drawing, and then, um, uh, then we did grisaille, and then you jump to straight like full color palette you know the full color impressionist palette and you kind of still see this like with russian academic work they have these like incredible drawings and structural drawings and then you look at their painting and it's like full-on impressionism Mm -hmm. and so um i remember asking uh you know the painter richard black who set up he set up the ateliers like the modern atelier movement is from richard black and so i was asking him you know why don't you embed in these ateliers some transitionary uh Thing like where it's where it's sequential in terms of the buildup and and he said, uh, you know, because painting with a limited palette is harder than painting with a full color palette. And it was interesting because I asked Nelson Shanks the same thing because I was, you know, when I was a student, like looking around to study and trying to decide where to go. I was asking him also about, like, you know, why the full deep dive. And I guess I'm just a slow, deliberate learner, and I was curious about that. And he also said it was harder. And I didn't understand that because when I look at the limited palettes, it's almost like when you're going bowling and you have like the kids bowling alley where you have um, there's no gutters. So it's like you have the two barriers and your ball can like it's going to get in there <laughs> in in the uh, hit the pins no matter what. And uh, but now I realize why they say it's harder because it's not only harder; it's impossible if you're trying to color match um, a lemon using. Any- burnt sienna and viridian, it's viridian, never going to work. Like a super limited palette is only functional for a very narrow parameter. So you have to stack the whole thing in that, you know, camp. But what it is good for is um, being able to uh, get out of the mindset of copying like a photograph what you're seeing and understand the translation that it takes to, to create that feeling of life and movement through temperature changes and so that's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I recommend for, with reading is I just kind of got in the habit of any time I saw a reference to a name that I'd never heard of, I just started looking it up on Google Books. And then you'd find like going back hundreds of years, these names of artists who were directors of academies or, you know, principal teachers all over who don't exist anymore for our purposes, but have written And so, you know, I encourage people to kind of go through that rabbit hole a little bit because it's really fun. It's really rewarding, especially if you like old language. And I look like old language. You love listening to podcasts,
0: but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. there's some, there's actually something about that, that uh, relates directly to possibly a more suboptimal experience that I'm, that I'm having with, with students these days that maybe you have something to say. So it's, as you explained, you know, everything is on the internet. All the research is, is for, for anybody willing to do the research, the material is out there, but also there's a whole lot of material that is you know, less than the best. And of course, in any uh, resource like the internet, you get more of that, you know, kind of superficial, how do you draw eyelashes kind of tutorials. And you would get, at least I would get a lot of students who say, oh, but I heard from this teacher like ABC, or but I heard from this and oh, this totally conflicts with this amazing YouTube artist that I know. And so, you know, I think, there's, there's a little bit of a dissidence that I, I, I share your, your feeling of telling people we'll go to the library. Like there's so much out there, but also there's so much out there that is not totally like, it's not the best nutritional content for painters. So how can, how do you think we can, can we say something that's going to make sure that people know that they're going in the right direction? Yeah, it's
1: super interesting what you're bringing up and, and it's really important what you're saying. Uh, so what, what I did with the Google books is I just actually would go and have them printed and actually just read the thing from beginning to end. Um, In one sense, I feel like when I was studying, we were at a disadvantage because we just didn't know and we weren't exposed to that much. And anything we wanted to learn about, it felt like we had to just go there and talk to an artist directly. Um, And now everything's very accessible, uh, but that comes at a price. Um, And, when we were studying or when I was studying and those kind of my generation, uh, art wasn't just information that you acquire and you learn, and now you know more than somebody else, or that you've got a trick that you can kind of do to go to the utmost of representation, like right away. I mean, those are impressive, super impressive skill sets, uh, but art has never just been about information and it kind of becomes that. And so in a way, uh, something significant gets lost when the subject becomes reduced. Um, you know, art has always seemed to me about a inward, it's an inward journey and those never become quick and easy. And sometimes the uh, precociousness of it can almost lead to a shallowness in terms of personal depth and a competitiveness. And you're instantly thrown onto um kind of a world stage showing, hey, look what I can do. Uh, but what about who we are and who are we becoming and how we're changing culture? And so I feel like maybe this is a necessary kind of swing that, uh, you know, uh, we haven't seen this much ever before and now we're just going to eat it all. <laughs> and then at some point, um, you know, knowledge gets translated to wisdom through life experience and through distilling down And so I understand the temptation and I see it all the time. I want to grow up super, super fast and, um, and some things can't be done quickly. So it's kind of be an unpopular thing to say, but I'm a big fan of late bloomers of people who just take 10 times longer to do the same thing as anybody else. Um, because you're dealing with the real thing (laughs) by the, by the end of that, you've become something. And so uh, it's not that the two are mutually exclusive, but it's just kind of cautionary. Hmm.
0: So are there any kind of, pardon me for bringing it down to the pragmatic, but is there any kind of thing that let's say somebody's surfing YouTube, trying to learn how to paint, they don't know where to start anything that would be like a, red flag, like, okay, this guy I shouldn't be listening to, because I totally sympathize. I got completely lucky. I mean, when I wanted to learn how to paint just by sheer luck, I fell into a school with two of the most incredible teachers out there and they taught me all I know. And I could easily imagine myself being young and impressionable and just falling into the wrong rabbit hole. How do, how, how can we help people know where they need to fall? Um.
1: Well, one thing you can't go wrong doing, well, who, who did you study with? Is this in Israel or?
0: Yeah, I studied with Aram Gershoni and David Nippo. So you, yeah, he is a marvelous
1: painter and a really like cool person. Just a great, yeah. Um, Uh, You you can't go wrong, um, you know, starting with, you know, basics and developing your drawing and um, starting with something like uh, Harold Speed's book, The Practice and Science of Drawing, and so if you think in terms of, well, I did my books, basically, I did them for a different reason than this. At, at the time when I wrote the initial uh, first few books, there wasn't any guarantee that traditional painting would end up lasting. Like we actually didn't know, it, it, kind of, it, it had almost died out, the um, traditional realism. And there was a few really powerhouse practitioners, but it wasn't super popular, and it was, wasn't tied into, like, right now we've got these uh, convergences in terms of, you know, um the gaming industry, which is really huge, and a lot of money flowing into kind of artists working in that, and then also with, um, you know, animation and the film industry and all that, which is kind of, where we're seeing a resurgence of interest, and also things like, I don't know if you've ever gone to Comic-Con, uh, but I mean, it, you know, like stadium size events, and when you walk in there, you're basically seeing, like, pre-Raphaelite on steroid in terms of like the Marvel thing, you're getting that kind of aesthetic, but it is a, it is figurative art, you know? And, um, so in a way there's just, uh, you know, there's just tons and tons of stuff, but starting in the, so it could be, When I was starting with the books, there wasn't any guarantee. Like Nobody thought it was going to go that direction, that's for sure. But there was a danger of it dying out. And my journey was so completely convoluted, I kind of wanted to record it and fill in my missing gaps. And so actually just getting an overview of the path of traditional training from beginning to end, even if you're just reading about it as a roadmap and you choose not to follow Follow it, you at least have looked at it from a bird's eye view, kind of looking down, and you know beginning and end. You start with a block in and you end with form, or you start with a block in and you end doing paint with, uh, you know, color, whatever it is. And then um, anything that you use to study with, like whoever you study with, uh, whatever uh, you're reading or whatever you're researching, will all have a context. So creating that context is probably the most important thing you can do. And that's quick you know, it's quick to understand the, you know, the global thing.
0: That's fascinating. So I, I'm a little younger, so I never had that experience of, Oh, you know, figurative art is Mm -hmm. dying out. Like I'm, I'm kind of switching between imagining that it's already dead and thinking, Oh, it's like totally alive. And now it's up to us to thinking, to think, okay, where do we want to steer this ship? Uh, and i just kind of wonder on a personal level like how did it feel if you are working in a field that you think is dying out like what kind of mission does that evoke did that evoke in you like how did you how did you even function in a in a in a field that you thought okay this is like <laughs> i'm going to be like the last person doing this how how did, uh, yeah, how did well, that it come yeah well, was
1: interesting about? like when i went off to go study in the tilliers like when i studied in um when I started studying in the Atelier, one of the, you know, they had a, a issue of, like, Classical Realism Journal, which listed all the known Ateliers at that time. And there were, like, six. I mean, that's, like, right in, in in the world. And they were all older folks at that time. You know, all people who had studied with Richard Black or with Archive's Gamble, his teacher. And um, there were other traditions, you know, happening, like, in, in New York and other things. But this, um, you know, slow and steady uh Uh, traditional training there wasn't that much of it and the people who ended up there were really looking for it you didn't accidentally end up in a studio like that you went you sacrificed a lot to be there and so I went there you know we didn't talk much amongst ourselves like it wasn't this like big communal thing like everyone went there it was like you would uh, it was it was really competitive actually (laughs) It wasn't uh, so. One of the the guys that I was in school with when I went to Minnesota was Graydon Parish, and he was like, you know, and uh, a friend Mm -hmm. of mine uh, became a great friend is uh, Robert Armeta and others. And it was kind of like we're used to like politically hearing about dog whistle uh, attracting something just below the hearing of everyone else. And for those of us who were were going to um, study, it was the same thing. It was looking for something, and it was super unpopular. Like you were really, really nerdy to be doing it. And, uh, and you just kind of find each other. But just because you find each other doesn't mean you talk much amongst each other. It wasn't like a parting fun scene. It was just like who could work the hardest. It really was. And you have people like, um, uh, yeah. you know, how I ended up studying with Jacob Collins at the National Academy of Design is I was studying with somebody else who was a student of Gammel when I moved to New York City. And um, my friend Robert just said, hey, there's a guy teaching like, you know, really great drawing, and I put your name down on the wait list. And when the wait list, when your name comes up, just show up. And that's how I ended up there. I didn't have any clue who he was actually. <laughs> just they call my name, and then I was like, oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> so
0: that's fascinating. It sounds really different from from the experience that I went through. I mean, at least for me, the feeling in in the classroom was kind of like all of us were in this together, and. I do remember like one, some of my fondest memories is really sitting around the table during lunch break and trying to understand like, how do you get these edges to work? Like, oh my God, you, you got such a beautiful like soft edge over there. And it's like, oh yeah, I held the pencil like this. I held it sideways. I did all of that. And we kind of really shared knowledge with each other. So you're saying that for you, it was almost the opposite, more like competitive. Everybody was for the doing most their own part, thing. I mean, and, it was uh,
1: really... Like you did not screw around, you did not talk much, you just show up, you do your work, you work hard, you don't miss days. I mean, it was very different. Like no one would asleep in, no one would miss wow. a day. You know, and this was like this like full time for a decade, you know.
0: And is that the kind of atmosphere that you're cultivating no. at your atelier? When did when uh, did your atelier open? And when what made you feel like, okay, I'm gonna open my own school, I have my own way of doing things, um, this is what I'm up to.
1: It was just, I love, I, I just love school. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I realized that's, yeah, that's not me. Like everyone, there's something, I don't know. I, I, I think that um, that idea of like a monastic experience when you come in um, and study and work really hard uh, is important, but at the same time, there's uh you know there's a cost and a payoff and so for for the few people that would make it through an experience like that there are a lot of people who would never paint again or would kind of weed themselves out because it was difficult or they were so mm. hard on themselves and i just never wanted to make it any harder for someone than it has to be i wanted it to be um an experience that that people love to learn and they never stop learning for the rest of their life because mm. it's so enjoyable and uh and I, I always wanted to create a place where uh, people are really you know, brought together. And it's not always successful because uh, each year you have different personalities and you can't control exactly it. But for the most part, we'd have just an, a, a wonderful, warm community where uh, there's no hierarchy whatsoever in terms of you know, the first day that you show up, you're as important and have as much to contribute as somebody who's been there four or five years. And we actually change the curriculum based on people's interests. So
0: hmm. in, in what ways that that's a curious thing. So what what did you discover that you had to change in the curriculum to respond to community to community? Yeah, like demands? we have some
1: people who they just have like great ideas and they want to start implementing them immediately. And then at the beginning you're thinking, well, you can't draw anything i mean your work is just like you're just like an absolute beginner (laughs) but you want to and so i've learned like okay well we can take a day or two days a week if you want and to work on things um that you're super interested in that uh doesn't matter if it's done well or poorly just like do it and so we um Like this year, uh, we've instituted like a 2020 challenge where the students can create a piece of work that embodies something of their experience of this year, which is really hard for a lot of people. And then um, it's going to be, and at any rate, so we do, like this year, we're doing sculpting because some people wanted to sculpt. And so we're doing cast, basically cast uh master copies of sculptures. Uh people wanted anatomy and now on Fridays, uh David Dwyer for the last bunch of years, who co-runs my program with me, uh, he was a radiologist and he'll devote Fridays to first years doing um uh anatomy lessons. We have some who want a plain air because they're super interested in that. So they'll go, you know, so we try to keep wow. the curriculum moving, but every year, depending on who's there, we'll shuffle it. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I love that.
0: I uh, it's it's really I think it's a really beautiful way to stay responsive to the people who are living today while communicating all this knowledge that have has accumulated for hundreds of years. So it's actually quite emotional. So I'm I'm happy to hear that this is this is how it's been going. And let me really ask because you touched on 2020 and to those of you who are listening in the far away future, this is the year of coronavirus and it has Hit all of us uh, pretty hard, I think. I mean, there. I don't. I don't. I can't think of a single artist who hasn't had the need to almost completely reinvent themselves. Because the majority of what us as teachers are doing is has kind of become a little bit more difficult to do. So, do you want to share a little bit about how the atelier has changed, or your practice has changed, or? many maybe advice to people who are trying to deal with this new reality and still continue to learn painting and, and and to practice
1: yeah i mean people who are artists or studying art who are interested in this uh you know you're so lucky in so many ways because uh when something like this has happened you realize you have a whole world of imagination and interest to be able to keep you going and i Feel really sorry for people who don't have that and so for all the financial troubles that artists have and all the other uh you know um you know the crisis of uh you know that all that crop up in terms of should I be doing this and can make a living doing this now you realize how um you know it goes straight to the bedrock of uh who we are you can really do a deep dive and get great enjoyment and pleasure from life without leaving home and so in some ways that has been a tremendous gift to all of us uh in terms of teaching it's phenomenally difficult because you have to shut down the studio or repeatedly shut down the studio or open up with precautions and the uh, amount of disruption in people's lives and the uncertainty can almost be paralyzing it's hard to create out of a place of instability which uh, is affecting a lot of people and so we just have to um be as regular in our habits as we can, as disciplined in what we're looking at and uh, being inspired by as we can. Uh, so for, for most of us, it's a whole new digital world being able to teach and, and, and there's some good things about it. Like today there was an artist in England named Alex McDonald, who's a uh, watercolor painter. And he wrote to me on Instagram and said, Hey, has anyone ever taught you how to paint watercolor? i like, no. He said, you want to learn? I'm like, sure. And so this morning, I got an hour tutorial from somebody across the country who's just kind enough to say, hey, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> so, wow. so that's all very good. But who knows what this will look like on the other side.
0: And uh, have you implemented some of the online teaching uh, thing yeah. into your own atelier?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the end of uh, spring semester was entirely online. It was done through Zoom and, and critiquing uh, using the Procreate program where you can, you know, and uh, we've this year we uh, and then doing kind of all atelier happy hours. Where we get everybody together and basically it's more mentorship than it is, you know, anything else uh, or it was then. But now uh, we're starting the school year. And so basically, starting a bunch of people off, and we're in person. And we have two live rooms going now instead of one because we have to keep everybody kind of distant. And then we have a third remote platform where we just live stream the model to people who don't want to come in or can't come in. And it's messy, but we're making it work.
0: Great. I mean, uh, I, I personally find that. Um, since I've been teaching exclusively online for the past, what's it been? Like six months? I don't even know anymore. And initially, at least personally, I thought teaching online—it's not a thing. If you asked All me right. a, year, a year ago, who knew, right? Nobody knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I am I, like a very stubborn person, and and I would have thought this is totally impossible yeah. and shouldn't really be attempted. Right. And I think it really takes a crisis to get some someone as hard headed as me. To yeah. open up to new possibilities, and in fact, I think the best evidence that shows that this is working is I'm seeing people's work, and it's phenomenal. Like people are making absolutely inspiring advancements in their practice just by learning online. and i I was at least I feel like I was completely proven wrong. it It just it so totally works. And I don't know if you feel the same way as as I do, but, I'm passionate about communication and I felt like nothing has pushed my communication level skills as far as, as what I've been having to do when teaching online, because when I'm in a regular classroom, sometimes I'm like, okay, listen, this is how you mix that color. And I would mix it like on the person's palette as I'm explaining it, or here, this is how you apply that mark. And I would kind of intervene and touch their painting and kind of fix something up. But now since I can't touch their painting and I can't touch their palette, I had to get so much better at actually articulating everything that they need to be doing in their own living room or wherever they Mm -hmm. are. And so I feel like it's, it's really helped me grow as a teacher. Do you, do you share that feeling?
1: Um, well, you're gifted in that way. I mean, you truly are. Uh, but I'm, I'm the same thing when this first, when this first hit, I had no way how, how, I mean, I would think that we would all shut the doors and go back to just painting in our studios and the education would stop. And so you're right. It like it was a crisis that formed that caused a, um, a shift and it's possible to have community online. I mean, it really is. And it's possible to learn online as, as well. Uh, it does require, um, it's probably not as easy for everyone, um, for people who are self-disciplined and focused and if you get up and do the work, because you have to do the work, you can't rely on just coming to a studio and just blending in and having somewhere to go. So I think um, uh, just maybe encouraging everyone to, there's a value in just showing up, just doing a few hours, whether or not it feels like you're making progress or not, because that's where the growth happens. And for students who just show up, you know, Ken, it's just like what you said, you know, you're going to get better. Yeah, and improve
0: certainly but, uh Juliette, oh, i'm growing increasingly conscious of your time because uh i think we've gone a little over and i i know you're yeah. busy do you want to let people know where they can find you
1: uh yeah i've got the website aristidesarts.com with the s and uh and then instagram just my name uh, on instagram and also facebook
0: Brilliant. So I'll include all those links in the show notes and also your wonderful books that everybody, especially now during COVID when you have time to read, should get your hands on Juliet's books because I think you're one of the more talented teachers out there. And I think you have a great way of communicating this knowledge to students. So I, I highly yeah. recommend this to everybody.
1: Well, thank you, Ken. Thanks for taking the time and just sharing your love and enthusiasm for art and uh, giving a, a space and a voice for, for so many people. So, Take care, Ken.
0: Thank you for joining me. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to see it grow, please take a moment to subscribe, rate it highly, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show and have access to exclusive content, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash Ken For online lessons, please visit kengoshen.com slash lessons. Thanks again and see you next time.